One, two, three. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's live stream. Uh, so good to see you all here. I'm here with Walker Reynolds. What's up, Walker? What up? Uh, so this is our Industry 4.0 weekly live stream. Uh, today, we're going to be answering some questions on the unified namespace. Uh, how do I publish data to a unified namespace with an iPad? Uh, what is the structure of unified namespace? Is there any standards like ISA 95 that um, is recognized by uh, ISA? Um, and then last but not least, there's another one like alarm and events and synchronization and standardization. Um, so there's a lot of good questions that came in on YouTube and in our Discord server that we're going to be answering today. Uh, so welcome, everybody. Let us know where you guys are joining from in the chat, and uh, we'll get started. Rocking. Well done, Zach. Uh, all right. Let me share my screen. Um, before we get started, are there any questions for those that are watching the um, the stream or any questions I can answer right off the bat. I've got about a half dozen that we're going to answer. A couple of them are really good. We're going to give you guys an update on mastermind for this Friday. Um, but if you have any questions, please let me know what they are. So exactly. You want to give the update on the 12 week accelerator program, please. How that's been going. You're doing the second development session next week, right? Or tomorrow, correct? Yeah, tomorrow we're going to be meeting again at the normal time. Um, this last week, the homework was reviewing module two of Mastermind, which was all about integrating ERP. One of the most difficult challenges that you're going to run into when digitally transforming is connecting to ERP data. But there's a lot of value that's untapped in there. And mm -hmm. in this last week, you know, I just re recently reviewed the, the videos. I'm reviewing them alongside with the community as we're going through it. Um, you know, give you a step by step guideline on how to actually uh how to actually do it how to have that conversation with your it department how to how to build it in your development process and how to actually deploy it so um super valuable and looking forward to discussing that with you guys all tomorrow also the other thing is everyone has like their 12-week goal so in addition to just going through all of the mastermind content everyone has their own individual 12-week goal that we're sort of working towards and you know that's my goal for the program is to help every one of the you know 53 members that are in the accelerator track right now achieve that 12-week goal and just get maximum value from the program so yeah how many people do we have in mastermind total there are 80 is it more than 80 90 no it's like 129 total okay all right well obviously i should keep up with those numbers better so so for so that so we have 129 people who are in mastermind mastermind is uh, a program that teaches people how to lead industry 4.0 initiatives. Again, you know, one of the things that we want to stress is, you know, the, you know, if, if I'm a, if I'm a, a either a current industry 4.0 professional or I'm an aspiring industry industry 4.0 professional, you know, what is industry 4.0? What is the industrial Internet of Things? What, you know, what is digital transformation? Why does this shit even matter? Right? The, the if I'm one of those people. And I, I go to IIoT.university and I'm like, okay, what do I, what should I do that now that I'm here? It's, it's pretty straightforward. The first thing that you should do is take the free IIoT mini course, which I think is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's 10 to 12 videos. And it's all the baseline knowledge that, that everyone needs to have before they, uh, that's the first step, before they take the second step in their industry 4.0 journey. Um, second step is join the Discord. 
the industry report out of discord because now you're going to get connected to the community you're going to have the members of the mentorship program membership of mastermind you're going to have the members of the um the the industry uh the community advisory board and then you're going to have everyone else who's joined so the you know engineers uh sales engineers uh oems um uh end users um distributors you name it are all in that one location to answer questions right that's step two step three is you get need to ask yourself the question you know what do i want to do do i want to do i want to just learn more about industry 4.0 and become fluent in it so when somebody mentions this topic i can answer you know i i, I know i can answer um or comment on it fluently well then you you're you're probably either going to decide to just um learn through you know learn passively through the community primarily through discord and through you know youtube content and then you know once you're ready to really get involved and say you know how can i transform my career then the first step is going to be mentorship and mentorship is all around centered around teaching you the technical skills to support industry 4.0 initiatives. Mastermind is the is the next step that not everyone takes. So mastermind is a much more in-depth, much more intense program and it's centered around teaching people how to lead the initiatives. A how to build the teams, how to architect the solutions, how to manage the projects, how to manage the iterations, how to work with, you know, how to be a transformative leader and work with executives and operations and information technology and your security groups and big data and how to help contribute to the reorganization of your organization that's mastermind mastermind's a higher level it it is you don't have to have the technical skill to do mastermind you should you i would argue that you're going to be a much better leader transformative leader if you can speak the language i mean I think Elon Musk is a much more effective leader of Tesla because he's a great engineer, right? Um, the But you don't have to have the technical skill to do mastermind. So the 12-week accelerator program is there's 50-something people who have joined mastermind a year after the first big group joined. So we had something like 40 of people initially that grew to 70, give or take. And you, you know we've got 40 people who've been in the program for a year and a half. Those are the OGs, and they make up a lot of the community advisory board. Um, and then you, you know, you have another thirty or forty who joined, say, nine months ago, and then you got another fifty or so that have been here in the last six months. The accelerator program is a it, instead of having one meeting a month to go over the to and do a new session, what you're doing is you're having one meeting per week where you're reviewing one of the first twelve sessions that we did. And it's basically to get you caught up to the OGs and the the uh, the, the current members of the program. So it's um, very intensive. Uh, very last intensive. week we actually we we split the group into two end users and uh, like manufacturers, people who work for a company that's you know doing this transformation, and then the other group was system integrators, people that help people that are doing that. And it was about a 50-50 split, which was pretty interesting. Um, one one other announcement. I I'm gonna keep driving this home. Well, actually, first off, where am I? Why do I look so ridiculous? I'm um, I'm at our office in upstate New York, and so degrees outside. I'm looking out a window with a bunch of snow out there, and snow sucks. 
Um, there's no snow in Dallas. It's like 60 degrees in Dallas right now, I think. Uh, so I want to get back to Dallas as quickly as I can, but we, I didn't pull out all the studio stuff in here. So, um, so that's why I, the camera quality is, is not as good. Uh, an another announcement I'm going to keep making in, in most of the sessions, probably for the next month is, um, you know, we have a community advisory board that we created in December. It's made up of, I think nine members of the community. I didn't count the list, um, but I think it is nine. It's seven, eight or nine. Um, the community advisory board is tasked with essentially being the liaison between the educators, the curriculum writers for mastermind and mentorship and the rest of the community. It's made up of members who have been um, in mastermind and mentorship for the last year and a half. Um, the, the group is chaired by David Schultz and co-chaired by Mario Ishigawa. Um, but other members of the team are uh, Brendan Riley, uh, Cheryl McCrary, Matt Paris, um, and a handful of others. Forgive me if I'm, you know, if I forgot you guys. It, it, Taylor, Taylor Turner. Taylor Turner. Yep. Um, if you guys have any feedback, if there's any, any yeah, anything you guys want to see with the curriculum, um, you know, topics you want to see us cover in mentorship or mastermind, uh, the best way to get that information to us is either through discord, uh, directly through a, a DM or through the advisory board. The best way is going to be through the advisory board because Dave and, and the rest of the group are collating all of the requests and the feedback. So they've they have been doing out, out they have legitimate like influence over what we do. So if, if you want, you know, we listen to the advisory board. Well, not only do they have influence, they have the, the, the actual advisory board, which is made up of five people um, is handled like a board of directors and votes on the curriculum. So the, the advisory board um, that is the group that's the liaison for the community, um, two fifths of the board is, is uh, Dave and, and Mario. So they have actual voting, you know, um, voting rights and, and, you know, s control a lot of sway in terms of what the actual curriculum is, the stuff that we touch, touch on. So anyway, just hey, as wanna... a reminder, make, make sure you leverage that group if you got questions. And then also, um, um, just quick reminder in the industry 4.0 Discord server, stop, don't know selling, like, and also no DMing people unless they ask you to DM them, like, or, or you're just wanting to make a connection. Um, there's been some complaints actually just recently about particular, uh, you know, people that are like reaching out to everyone that joins and trying to sell them stuff. Like, just stop doing that, <laughs> please. Like, well, who, we're who's, trying to who's doing it? Who's doing uh, it? Just put them on blast. Who is it? Um, he, the person that reported it didn't say the individual, but they did say that they were reached out to. So, okay. So listen, the, it, one of the, here's, here's the reality on the industry, you know, the discord server. Um, you know, this is actually probably a good um, side topic to, to cover. Same, um, same thing for selling and content too. Like, yeah, one that. of yeah, stop. You know, one of the things that people don't understand about how our how the market has changed, people don't want to be sold to. People want to be informed about value and then make decisions about what to buy. So the all the tricks, all the stuff that people used to do in sales, you know, qualification, open ended questions, overcoming objections, asking for the sale, all that bullshit. It is bullshit. It's, it's all crap. 
And what it does is it turns people off and it really turns engineers off. So a lot of people have asked us, you know, like how, you know, how have you guys been able to manage such a successful industry 4.0 discord server for a year at more than a year now and and not have it devolve to the lowest common denominator in terms of discourse and the answer is we have been vigilant about um not, not allowing people to actively sell in the community if we didn't do anything in there let's say we we didn't we didn't try to moderate business development people coming in and, and, and reaching out to literally every person, just throwing as much shit against the wall as possible and seeing what sticks. If we didn't work so hard to moderate that, no, we, the, the Discord server would have died by now because no one is going to go, no one's going to go into a Discord server and just be sold to all the time. You know what I mean? There, that, that's not going to happen. So I can tell you this, um, it's my face on the discord server. If there, that doesn't mean if somebody doesn't have a, if someone vocalizes a legitimate problem that they have and you have the product they need to solve their problem, that doesn't mean don't bring that up. Okay. It doesn't say, Hey, listen, take a look at this or take a look at that. In fact, that's part of what the discord server is for, but what the discard server is not there's is nuance. a place for business yeah. is yeah a place for business development people to just basically go through the list of all the members and send a, a direct message to them and try to on the sly see if there's an opportunity there. Don't do that. That's the equivalent. That's the equivalent of cold calling. I mean, because I have no problem, me personally, going in and kicking out every any person who I know is in business development for any company. I have no problem doing that. I got no problem saying this is going to be for right. engineers only. But so we don't want to do that. So no, no, let, let me let me say that I don't want you to soften my message. I, I don't need you to soften the message. All right, all right, all I, right. I am I am saying unequivocally right now, if you actively sell in the Discord server, you are fucking gone. If anybody sends a complaint to me that you are sending them direct messages unsolicited that is that can be deemed as business development efforts, you're gone. Period. Full stop. No discussion. Gone. Okay. So don't soften the blow, Zach. I don't want anyone. I want to draw a very clear line 100%. in the sand. I, I'm with okay? you. All right. I'm just saying. Um, I, all I was saying was like I. And that's why I'm actually appreciative of everyone who messages me when like we have a lot of community policing the community. That's how we're able to manage it. So if you see any of that stuff, just let me know. And, you know, hammer is going to be dropped. Yes. You, you heard know, it. You heard the it reason here. Why is, the reason why is it'll kill the community. It's not because I'm a dick. It's because it'll kill the community. So we're, we're not going to allow business development people. I mean, it, it's, it's literally rule number one, I think, when you join the rules pop up. Rule number one is no active selling. That doesn't mean that if an opportunity is right there in front of you and someone is, is soliciting for the opportunity that you don't say, hey, I've got the product, just the product you need. Okay. Um, that's right. Uh, all right. Uh, real quick, let's talk about news and updates and then get into the questions. Uh, Mastermind is this Friday. Okay. Um, so there are two announcements centered around Mastermind. Um, so for those of you who are in mentorship and Mastermind, in the mentorship call last Friday, what we did was we did building self-aware systems. So um, I did an, uh, a technical demo 
and showing the mentees how to build a self-aware SCADA system using a plating example. And I'm actually going to touch on that really quickly here because one of the questions we have today is around data modeling. And, uh, and I'm going to answer that, that question. One of the things you're going to notice um, going forward is we are going to be much more technical in our discussions. So we're going we're gonna to go a little deeper in our discussions more technically because that is what the Community Advisory Board is requesting. We have generally not gotten down to the 100-foot view technically or the, even the 1,000-foot view because generally when we do detailed technical content, it's not, it, it, not many people watch it. So if you look at over the, over the history of our channel, when we stay at the 10,000 and 5,000 foot level, that, that content resonates. But when we go below that and get more into the technical weeds, it doesn't. But the community advisory board is requesting this. And so we're going to go ahead and do it. So last Friday in our mentorship class, we, uh, we did um, an example of building a self-aware SCADA system. We went through the Python code that you would write and we, you know, showed the relationship between a data type and a template and, you know, self-aware namespace. And if you, if you make a modification to the namespace, you can run this bit of code that scans the namespace and then, you know, goes and selects the proper template for that object. And then we went over MIG layout, which is a, um, which is a uh, GUI uh, configuration language um, for Java. Um, using, you know, Ignition Vision. Okay, so that was last week in mentorship. This week in Mastermind, we are going to be doing uh, data operations. So data ops again, so a uh, data ops part two, but we're going to be doing data modeling. So we're going to be covering designing data models for Industry 4.0 using a self-aware SCADA use case. So Mastermind this week is going to be an extension of mentorship last week. And instead of doing the actual um, SCADA development, what we're going to be doing is talking about how do you plan your data models? So how do you plan what a tank model is going to look like? Okay, how are you, what are the things that you need to take into consideration? And then, then how do you design that model? Okay, and then we're going to use the SCADA example from last week to illustrate the difference between planning for that and developing that, okay? But using the same use case. Some topics that we're gonna cover, we're gonna talk about ISA 95 part two. I'm actually gonna talk about that in one of the, the questions today. We're gonna talk a little bit about the REMI standard. How do you apply, where do you apply one in your namespace versus the other in your modeling, okay? So that's this Friday. In addition, Zach, what is the date we're going to be doing an additional mastermind session, which is a high bite part two session. Okay. Um, and the high bite intelligence hub session part two, and that is going to be led by David Schultz, who is the chair of the community advisory board in conjunction with Kurt, who is one of the engineers at high bite. And they're, they're going to do a much deeper dive of actually how to build a model using an actual use case. So model and flow, where Dave is going to demonstrate it. And that is going to be when, what was the date? I that think that's going to be the, the fourth. We, we, so March 4th. He, he said, whichever date works best for uh, the group. So I think in uh, just because we have mastermind this Friday, um, we could do it next Friday, but okay. I'm thinking the fourth would be the best. So to give us uh, yeah. time for planning yeah. and stuff. That works. So then we will, 
So everyone should plan. If you're in Mastermind, you should plan for March 4th. It'll be a two-hour session. In that two-hour session, Dave Schultz is going to be using, taking a use case that we develop, that we come up with. It's going to probably be our plating use case. Use our use case, and he is going to use the Highbyte Intelligence Hub to consume the data model um, that we are um, that we're actually working with in this demo environment. And he will do all the data ops in the Highbyte Intelligence Hub, create the flows, and then publish that. Um, through the flow, pu publish the normalized data, the modeled data from that flow into our EMQX broker in the cloud. Okay. And, and if you are in mastermind, you will be able to connect to that broker and consume what it is that Dave has created. You'll be able to do that in real time. So that is going to be, it looks like that'll be March 4th, but that's the other announcement. It is a, it's a, think of it as a, um, it's an additional session to complete what we did in the last mastermind session. Okay. All right. So with that, let's go to questions. Any qu comments, questions, concerns about, about that. All right. Let's go over. Uh, all right. So question number one is from Francois Jean. He said, thank you for this nice video. Question is, is the UNS a place where alarm acknowledgement and synchronization can reside? So the answer is yes. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to show you what I mean here. I've got, if you guys were in mentorship last week, you guys will have said, you would, you would have seen this example. Okay. So last week we were doing self-aware SCADA for mentorship. This is the demo server that I, that I was doing the demonstration on. And I'm going to answer Francois's question using the same example. So what I've got here is a unified namespace for a self-aware SCADA system for a, a plating production line. Um, in Inside that namespace, in that tag namespace, we have, um, this is all ISA 95 part two, we get down to the temperature sensor that is within the main bath object, okay? The main bath object, which is within the electroclean cell. So the cell is electroclean. We have a main bath um, model, data model. And then we have a temperature sensor within that. Within that sensor, we have a couple of things. We have the alarm set points, high, 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 low, low, low. Um, we have underneath the value, we can see whether the alarm evaluation is enabled, okay? And we can see uh, whether it's in a current alarm or not. Th there is also an MQTT transmitter set up to publish this data into the cloud. So if you want, I can take a look at this. So I'm going to go to my MQTT broker. And I know this is going to be hard to see because uh, it's small on my screen. But if you look, we go to demo, we go to our demo server, we go to our plating production line, we go to line one, we'll take a look at our um, electroclean cell, we'll go into our main bath. So I'm looking at all MQTT namespace now, this is all Sparkplug B. And if I go to temperature, I can see my alarm set points and um, and I'll be able to see and I'll be able to see if those change. OK, any of the, any of the alarm attributes. OK. Um, so the answer to your question is yes, um, the unified namespace is a place where if constructed correctly, um, alarm acknowledgements and um, uh, synchronization can reside. 
Now, there's yeah. lots of ways to do this. A lot of ways that we do this, like if you want to look at like historical alarms, we do that in a data set tag, which we then um, pass through. Go ahead, Zach. Yeah, question. So use case or application here, let's say you have like a panel view plus and there's like some alarms that are configured in the panel view plus and then you bring, you know, the values into the unified namespace. What's the best way to do that when, you know, maybe initially they were just configured in the HMI, right? And how do you get that acknowledgement and standardization across, you know, your enterprise? All right. So, all, so long-term in all your future, future greenfield applications, your minimum technical requirements, alarming will be managed. In most cases, alarming is going to be managed centrally instead of on the edge. So the alarm definitions for new assets are generally going to be defined in the unified namespace itself as a, as a, a raw topic. Okay. But for your greenfield implementations, the best way, especially with the panel view plus case is to use the brown, OPC. Brownfield? Yeah. Brownfield is what I meant. Yeah. Is to use the, the OPC server and turn and, and convert that OPC server, the OPC namespace into an MQTT namespace through a gateway into your UNS. Got it. Okay. So you're going to, you're going to have two implementations. Right. You have and, and this is this is digital transformation. Part of digital transformation is I what I have to do is create a single technology driven infrastructure and digital strategy that works for brownfield and greenfield. But understand that greenfield is gets implemented differently. Mo most greenfield assets, when they come in later on, as we're in, installing as uh, installing assets, we're not putting a gateway between that asset and our infrastructure okay that is a great a, a protocol converter we're actually making that ship with the native protocol the new stuff is using a gateway in the or the old stuff's using a gateway in the center most of the time let's say right, you're let me doing look at, one one let me, more let me look at the yeah let me read these questions real quick and then yeah um sorry if you already discussed this i'd like to know if there will be any sessions regarding how to train end users will be looking at design systems like this yes that's part of mastermind how do you how do you handle enterprise training uh, that's a good question from Durga. Um, SCADA to greatly utilize the system we built using skills learned in Mentorship and Mastermind. Uh, accelerator Mastermind meeting is tomorrow. Yes, Sean, the Accelerator program, uh, Accelerator session is tomorrow. Uh, Paulo, should we use the UNS only from the SCADA level up or should the PLC also be part of the UNS? Absolutely PLC part of the UNS. Paulo, great question. Um, if the PLC should be part of the UNS, will the PLC use only the UNS as its mean of communication, or we still need to leverage proprietary protocols to communicate with the SCADA system? Um, so this is a good question. The answer is no. the 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 PLC it the PLC is going to you for for control applications. So control is different than data acquisition. Okay. So for process control. You're going to use the protocol that is best suited for the process control application. Okay. And for, but for data acquisition and monitoring, you're going to be using your industry 4.0, your near native protocol. Now, like, and remember what we say here, the, 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 a industry 4.0 uh, infrastructure and architecture does not eliminate every point to point connection, but it, it, and by that, I mean, it doesn't eliminate every connection between node A, you know, node to node. 
but it eliminates nearly all of them, 80 to 90% of them. But there are going to be some use cases where it is best in the best interest of the organization or the application to go point to point. But there's a rule as part of your minimum technical requirements. So remember, you write a digital strategy, okay? You write a digital strategy statement, you write minimum technical requirements that basically all um, digital nodes in your ecosystem have to have to meet those minimum technical requirements. One of the rules in the minimum technical requirements is in the event that I use, I still use a point-to-point connection. So I go from PLC, say say PLC to a Delta V system over a native protocol, for example. Delta V, the Delta V um, SCADA system and the the PLC are are separate nodes in the same ecosystem. They are going to be connected to your unified namespace, but they also have a connection point to point to one another if they create any new data or information. So the rule in the MTR is if they create anything new just by a function of being connected together, then one or both of those nodes has to publish that new stuff to the unified namespace. But good question, Paula. Uh, Mark Ritchie said, this is great content. How would you handle Sparkplug B? with site area line jammed into the group ID. Um, the way that I generally do it is with forward. So I, I think I understand what Mark is asking here. The way that I generally do it is site forward slash area forward slash line. Um, but I don't do this very often. Okay, so I, I don't, do, uh, this isn't a thing that I do very often because what I, what I end up having to do is parse those forward slashes from with the consumer, the consumer node. But that's the way that I generally do it. If I'm going to put site area and line in, so the group, whatever the, the group ID is, if I want to be able to tell what's what's the site, what's the area, and what's the line in the same group ID, I'm going to go site forward slash area forward slash line. But good question. Um, how does one use an iBad to publish to a unified, to a namespace? Um, there are lots of tools to use um, with an iPad, uh, but the one that I use is IoT Manager. Um, there's also a couple of really cool um, integrations that you can do where you can use IF Triple T, you know, through Python into uh, an MQTT broker. Um, but the the best way is IoT Manager. That's the way I do it. Perspective client or right. Well. Obviously, running a native is going to be the best way to do it, but that's going to be through some type of UI. And we're going to go over this, uh, Rushi. Uh, does UNS have standards by ISA just like ISA 95? No, it doesn't have a, a unified namespace standard. Um, but we, we use ISA 95 Part 2, which is the, um, the structure of... Um, enterprise site area line cell, which we refer to as asset structure. So when we're building our unified namespace, we generally adopt the ISA 95 part two standard for the way that we construct it. So a couple of different things. This is a great question and it, it is a question we actually will touch on an answer that we will touch on in the session this Friday, the mastermind session this Friday, because these are some of the considerations you have to take into account when data model. Okay, so how what will how will we construct our unified namespace? That is, when I look at the the hierarchy in the namespace, 
how does that semantically break down so that I can tell um, where what what I can look at where I am in the namespace and it, it'll tell me something okay about the value that I'm looking at. But we're actually going to go over this on Friday, but I'm going to go over the rest of this conversation and um, and contribute to it here. So Rick has a, a good um, response here, Rick Bellotta, but I, I want to expand because I think it confuses some people. Um, so Rick said, let me ask you what value ISA 95 brings versus using a unified namespace or an IoT platform that actually fits your, your unique plant and processes. Nero, the emperor has no clothes. I... I Agree in principle, but I don't agree in all practice. And here's why with Rick's first statement. And that is this. Remember, one of the goals of digital transformation is to take unlike processes, unlike businesses that are potential supply chain partners and plug them into the same digital supply chain. And if what we do is use no standard whatsoever. That is just wild, wild west. This plant constructs their namespace however the hell they want to. This plant constructs their namespace however the hell they want to. It'll make it much more difficult to plug those two together. Okay. So let me, Zach, stop sharing my screen so I can jump to a slide real quick. Sure. No, no let problem. me know when I, yeah, just yeah, let get, me know when that. I can do it. All right, cool. Uh, so what I want to do is show you guys what I mean here um all right so go ahead and show my screen again okay all right so what we're looking at here again a uh, big shout out to um john mckeon at gis his his uh i think it was oscar and his team put together this this graphic for us we i generally just have it in a slide but this is a a graphic from the guys at GIS, the this how we aggregate multiple unified namespaces together. So I'll have a unified namespace in one. This is this is supposed to be sites. So on the right hand side, I got common technology stack. I've got site A. I've got site B. Both of them have their own UNS at the site level. And what we want to do is take those two and piece them together in a higher level unified namespace, either at the regional or enterprise level, where we can then plug in big data, we can plug in, we can lay machine learning algorithms on top of that unified, unified namespace. So Rick is correct in that your UNS needs to work for your business and your process. What we do is in to keep remain to keep that flexibility, what we do is we use ISA 95 part two, which just says we should organize assets in, the, in this structure, enterprise site area line cell. And when we wanna create attributes, okay, or parameters on each of the, and on any of those asset levels, there is a, there is a way to do that, a standard for doing that. So we use ISA 95 part two to just construct the unified namespace so that when I go to a site level and I wanna take two sites and publish them to the same higher level, I can do that and they'll look similar, okay? But remember what the long-term goal here is, which is you want to take entire enterprises and plug them into a common digital supply chain, and you're going to be using this infrastructure to do it. And so you want there to be some sense of commonality in at least the way 
the namespaces are structured. And what we continue to push for is for ISA 95, so for ISA to extend ISA 95 part two to contain provisions that explicitly call out how to do this with um, broker namespaces, not even MQTT, wait, it could be AMQP, you name it. I'm gonna go ahead and switch back, so stop sharing my screen real quick. All right, you're good to go. Okay. Um, hopefully that answered that question. All right, you go ahead and come back. I'm going to finish this. So one of the things that Rick says here is the Purdue model uh, maybe fit reality in the 1980s. That's long since obsolete. And the number of systems that provide real interop based on ISA 95 is very small. 100% true. The design of B2MML allows too many proprietary functions that basically eliminate interoperability. I agree with everything that Rick is saying in that sentence, but I want to say this. When we talk about Purdue, what we're talking about is the horizontal stacks of the ISA 95 organizational structure. And when we're talking about that, we're really talking about ISA 95 part one. So what I want to say is this, is that we do not support using ISA 95 part one for any part of your industry 4.0 infrastructure. And when, when Rick touches on this, I think it could confuse some people because when he says the Purdue model, the Purdue model really is ISA 95 part one, whereas ISA 95 part two is more about asset structure, the individual assets. Whereas ISA 95 part one, you'll, you'll look at that famous diagram where you got level zero, level one, level two, level three, level right. four, that's all part one stuff, okay? Um, and then he says, too many in our industry are taking the lazy approach, looking for out-of-the-box solutions based on standards. They are unicorns. They don't exist other than fantasy land. 100% agree. Go ahead, Zach. Remember when, but Rick, um, and I agree with that, what, what, what he's saying, but he almost takes it too far saying like, uh, remember at one point he's like, there's no value in creating a hierarchy within your organization. Like at one point he was saying, like, don't even bother putting it into site area line cell. Uh, understand in, in, in here, and I understand where Rick is coming from here, but he's coming from a, and I'd love to, I'd love to have this conversation with him. But I understand completely where he's coming from here. But he's coming from the he, I think he thinks too much in greenfield terms, right? Why? Well, I mean, for example, if if you if I, um, let's say I were building a facility totally from scratch, in a perfect world, we would treat each digital asset as a common node in the exact same ecosystem with no hierarchy. So mm. think about it. When you've got a brownfield implementation, there is a hierarchy of the, of the organization because of the way the because of the way the assets were ordered in the industry 3.0 tools. For example, mm. in the future, I'm not going to have alarms living in three different locations in my business. I'm not going to have a work order living in multiple systems. A work order is going to be one definition in my unified namespace that all nodes consume from. Right now, you, you, know, you could go like the same asset in an organization. Here's, a, here's the best way to describe it. The same asset in an organization, that could be a machine, could have a half dozen different IDs for a half dozen different systems. 
So I could have that asset could exist in the ERP system and the unique ID for that asset could be one thing. And then when I went to my CMMS, my maintenance management system, that asset also lives in, in that digital CMMS and it has a different unique ID for the CMMS. What Rick is talking about is in the future, that asset gets defined one time and not in the digital systems. It just is defined when it's installed and the digital systems use its full complete definition always. And if you do that, there is no need for a hierarchy. Here's the problem. Okay. The vast majority, the vast majority of people who need to benefit from digital transformation, they're not going to rip and replace their entire infrastructure. So an example would be like Tesla could have one area in its namespace for all of its vehicles. It doesn't necessarily need to segment. Here's all the model X's. Here's all the model S's. Here's all the model threes. Here's all the model Y's. Because if each vehicle has its own unique identifier, like it's VIN or something, then you could have them all defined in one area with just that unique identifier that everywhere else in the namespace, it can know exactly what you're talking about. Is that correct? And then, Correct. and then the vehicle and, type is just an attribute underneath that, rather than built into the hierarchy. Vehicle, exactly, vehicle vehicle type is an attribute underneath that object definition. Okay, that's what Rick is getting at. What Rick is getting at is is why would you use why would you need a standard structure if 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 you could build a unified namespace that doesn't require it? And the answer is brownfield. That's the answer to Rick's question, even though he's not asking it specifically. Right. So I want to do JP Monis because he this is a great response. He says, I agree, but standards still have value in modeling operations, which they do. He's correct, 100%. That's the problem with just referencing ISA 95 as a singular concept. Totally agree on the unicorn aspect. That was my original point. My view of the UNS will be completely different than yours. So standards to me become somewhat useless. And here, here's my point. Here, here's the uh, what I want. I want everyone to be thinking of the unified namespace in these terms. Okay, what is a unified namespace from a hundred thousand foot view? What is it conceptually? Nothing but a file share where anyone can go to a single location. It's not a file share. This is a metaphor, though. Think of it as a file share, like I'm going in Windows Explorer, and I could tell someone. You can navigate through our entire organization and find any piece of data you're looking for. So, for example, if somebody says, I want to know what work order am I running on, um, on the three production lines out there on that floor in that area at this exact moment. The, the idea would be that I could go and double click on the, enter the enterprise of my organization. I could go to the site that I work at. I could go to the area that I'm interested in. I could click on the three production lines I'm concerned with, and I could read the work order for all three production lines. Now, what Rick is arguing is, is that I that hierarchy, that structure doesn't matter because the work order lives, all I need to know is which asset I have to look at to get the work order. And he's correct, you could do that, right? You absolutely could do that. But remember what hierarchies are for. Hierarchies are to give human beings semantical understanding and semantical structure. And that's what they are. Okay. Um, anyway, but let me, let, I talk about ISA 95 all the time. Oh, there's JP, John Paul. ISA 9, 
ISA 95 has something like, I don't know, 25 parts in it, right? I am not, the vast majority of ISA 95 um, is, I believe, deprecated. And when I say I, I'm 98%, the only part of ISA 95 that I find any value in long-term and I think will survive is part two, and it is the organization of assets, okay? Do you um, think uh, ISA will create a unified namespace standard? Say that again? Do you think a UNF, uh, ISA will adopt the unified namespace standard if-, if 100%. Can... No, absolutely 100%. It's too late. The 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 ship has sailed. So an another big, you know, um, you know, there there's some major major movement. There's there are there. Let me let me um, let me scoop this. Uh, I'm gonna make a prediction. Okay. So so this is um, right now there are basically two major players in industry 4.0. Okay. There are two major players. You have AWS and you have Azure. So you got Amazon and you have Microsoft. I don't think most people would say that they're the two major players in Industry 4.0. I don't think most people would be like, oh, wait, yeah, that makes total sense. But the truth is, is that they are the two major players. You got Amazon, you got Azure. Azure is aligned with Rockwell Automation or Microsoft is partnered with Rockwell Automation. Microsoft is... Um, they, they're, uh, they're partnered with the OPC foundation, right there. You've got, you've got the, you've got the VHS and you got the Betamax group. AWS is, is the superior technology definitely focused more towards open. Azure's got a lot of great integrated tools, right? But we're going to be talking about some of the problems with the way that Azure does things. And I, I and actually I'm hoping um, I, I am very optimistic about some few, some developments that are happening at Microsoft at the moment. Very optimistic about how they might, because Microsoft's really looking at improving Azure to be more inclusive of all technologies. They're really focused on that right now. And I, so I'm very optimistic about where Azure's headed right as it stands. And I love where AWS is, okay? And I think AWS is definitely ahead of the curve. They, and certainly when it comes to the people they have, you know, AWS has got incredible architects and, and what you can do with it, with, uh, AWS, um, with their IOT tools is pretty impressive, just natively out of the box. Okay. But here's something, mark my words, mark my words. There is another player who is coming in and I, uh, who is, who is going to make some huge waves this year. Okay. Um, and a couple of people in the community, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple of people in the community about this, but you know, I keep, I, I'm hearing these grumblings where Dell is making huge, um, you know, inquiries into acquiring companies all across the industrial space. Okay. And I, and I have, I have heard this and seen it with my own eyes with at least two dozen companies just in the last six weeks. Okay. So Dell, mark my words, by the end of 2022, the, the, the number one thing that we're going to be talking about is what is Dell going to do with all these acquisitions they've made in the last year? Because Dell is making, is making a huge move towards acquiring or getting into the in, industry 4.0 space 
far beyond just hardware stuff. So we're talking services, products, you name it. And I would not be the least bit surprised if there were major, major acquisitions that shocked the industry that by Dell this year. And in fact, I would be shocked if that didn't happen. That's so crazy. what we will have at the end of the year is basically three major players in industry 4.0. You're going to have Amazon, you're going to have Azure, and you're going to have Dell. And we're going to be talking about Dell more and more and more. Interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that. <laughs> Neither would I, but I, I can tell you now over the last, I mean, literally just in the last six weeks, I've had two dozen conversations with companies that some of them have been acquired by Dell. Um, some of them, um, and, and nobody knows that they've been acquired yet. Um, some of them are, you know, Dell has pre reached out to them um, to acquire them. These, you know, and this is all across the board. This is, <laughs> you know, this is you integrators, know. you know, product Dude, developers. <laughs> <laughs> dude getting a dell 4.0 solution yeah uh let yeah. me go back to speaking of amazon here. taking a quick let, step let, back to amazon and their amazing architects yeah that's actually yes. one of the uh mastermind members 12-week goal is to to get a solutions architect role at aws and so i'm hoping we can make it happen you know i'm working with them i think that's it's awesome. a high possibility because they're hiring like crazy right now so all right. uh, here, let me, John, I'm going to go back to JP, to Jean-Paul's comment. His ISA 95, here? yeah, ISA 95 enterprise plant, um, enterprise site area line cell are all 100% useful. My problem is the content in each unit just won't be parameters or properties attributes. The content will be quite diverse based on the ecosystem you have. 100%. So when I get to a, I agree, this is 100%. When I get to the area line, we're not going to be, when I get to the area level, I'm not going to have just lines within the area. I'm going to have scores and scores of attributes and parameters and actual values. Um, let's go to Jay. Agreed. Uh, Bob Pradhan. Is it even required for some industry like pharmaceutical? Um, you're talking about ISA 95 part two. The answer is, I believe, me personally, I have never architected a unified namespace and none of my architects, none of the other guys on my team and one guy, and I mean, non-gendered guys, um, the ha have ever architected a UNS that doesn't use some type of standard for structure. And, and in most cases it's ISA 95 part two, because it just works the best. But here's another really important note. If you don't use ISA 95 part two for your standard, that is the standard for the structure of the unified namespace then you, you are adding more work to your implementation because then you will have to normalize the connection between your ERP system and the unified namespace because nearly all ERP systems, their default master data model is based on ISA 95 part two, which was why we started looking at it to begin with. Um, um, Lars. Yeah, hold on. Go ahead. He said, I'm a PLC guy with the issue that MES guys want to control subcomponents of machines. And his question is, how do you deal with ISA 95 layers versus granularity of commands? A example, coming from MES in a direction of a machine with or without SCADA. How do you deal with ISA 95 layers versus granularity of commands? For example, coming from MES in the direction of a machine. 
with or without SCADA. Oh, so like start work order or something like that, or like functions or. Yeah. So they, that's really quite simple. Um, and I'm going to use this example. Let's say that, um, let's say a work order needs to live inside of a PLC. A PLC needs to consume a work order number. Okay. For whatever reason, let's say that the reason why is because there's logic in the PLC that base, or let's say it's product code. The, the product code that I'm running dictates which recipe I'm going to select inside the PLC. Let's say that that's our, our use case here. And I think what he's asking here is how do you handle uh, writing that to the PLC through the unified namespace? Okay. And the answer is, is that the, the, the trigger, the, the node, the node that needs to update that value in the PLC is going to directly update that value in the unified namespace, which is then published to the PLC or read by the PLC. I'm hoping that's the question he's asking. JP said, uh, how, how do you see the open manufacturing platform fitting in this space? The answer is it's far too early for me to tell JP. What would you consider uh, an open manufacturing platform like a, a tulip or something or? Well, non, um, like non-solution. Hmm. That's what an open manufacturing platform is. So non-solution. Um, so non-solution doesn't have a predefined layer that it belongs to. Um, Got it. All right. Uh, Sean said, why not GCP? Okay. Well, <laughs> we should have a... We should have someone from there on the podcast. Well, what we ought to do is have a... A, that that's a one hour conversation all unto itself. Um, and there isn't a short answer. So what I would say is this, let's have the conversation. Let, let's plan a part of the next, a segment of the next live Q and a, why not GCP? We are actually working with a company that uses GCP in their back end, but we're, um, but when you sign up on their front end, like it's not, visible to the user it's like a time series data platform and they use gcp for their um, back end but again it's you know it's abstracted so, so it is right, making some so in routes to the industry so let's do this let's put that in our live q a for next week as a segment why not gcp because this is a long answer all right any other questions And I want to touch back. I want to go back to Rick and and just sort of like here's the so this would be like for Jeff Rankin and his students at Penn College. What the what the what Jeff's students should look at right now is they should they should look at what is the difference between ISA ninety five part two and ISA ninety five part one. In fact, everybody on here watching should get a copy of ISA ninety five part one and ISA 95 part two and read through both and then throw ISA 95 part one away, never use it. Okay. It's, it's a, it's a legacy standard. And that's what, when Rick talks about the Rick Bellotta in his statement, where he talked about the Purdue model, he's talking about part one. And it's really about how to segment 
or how to organize the layers of the infrastructure is really what it is. That's what part one does. Part two is all about how to organize assets, how to organize assets semantically. And that still applies in our implementations. And if you're a college kid who, you know, if you're a college student or you are a continuing education student, you know, I, I would suspect that you, you should be totally lost when I'm saying this, right? I mean, this is not, you know, the, the most IT professionals, I mean, most of the people, if you go to most manufacturers and you say ISA 95 part one, 99% of the professionals you talk to are going to have no idea what you're talking about. They're, they're not going to be able to tell you what ISA 95 part one says. Most people are not going to be able to tell you what ISA 95 part two says. Okay. For, for the purposes of this discussion, ISA 95 part one is all about organizing the infrastructure and ISA 95 part two is all about organizing assets semantically. It's many other things, but for the purposes of this discussion, those are the two things that apply. When Rick talks about the Purdue model, he's talking about part one. When I talk about ISA 95 for your unified namespace, I'm talking about part two, I'm talking about how to organize your assets in a UNS. JP brings up a bunch of great points as does Rick about what is the applicability of ISA 95 part two. And the part that I really want to drive home for everyone, that the lesson that most people need to understand is, remember, remember the most important rule in digital transformation. You must remain agile. What you want today is a function of what you know today. And part of what our architectures we design, they have to work for what we're building today and what we will build tomorrow. Okay. And remember, digital transformation is about ultimately about taking organizations and plugging them into a digital supply chain. That means that there has to be some type of structure, common structure across that supply chain. And I believe that common structure is going to be an extension of ISA 95 Part 2. Why do I believe that? What's the reason I believe that? And the answer is really quite simple. The largest install base of ERP systems in the world is SAP. And SAP uses an ISA 95 part two standard master data model for the initial hierarchy. So if you think about organizations plugging into a common digital supply chain, and if you all wanna talk apples to apples to one another, the first place I'm gonna start with is the way my data is structured in my ERP systems. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't look at an SAP implementation and say that is not ISA 95 part two, because you could, because SAP is very customizable. But it, of all the clients we work with, and we work with the biggest customers in the world, they're all, they're all structured using part two. Every one of them. We've never come across a major organization that does not organize its assets using ISA 95 part two. They may not know it. They may not be able to tell you that that's what they're doing, but it's what they're doing. And so that's part of the reason that we said, hey, can we make this work? Uh, Lara, uh, let me go back to Lars, sorry. Um, partly answered, thanks for that. The question was more in a political direction. My experience is that MEI guys think PLCs are stupid and therefore want to do uh, logics well. Oh, got it, okay. They wanna do logic as well, the MES guys do. So they wanna do that at a higher level is what he's saying. Uh, that's, that's actually a, a good, see that this is something we talk about 
we touch on mastermind and that is who owns what it's a conversation we talk about and how do you handle those those uh you know political challenges internally uh, i got to figure out a way to communicate that in a future live q a all right there I aren't any question. other questions go ahead zach i'm gonna stop sharing all right um in mastermind part one you know the first one that we did you asked the question uh do you know what happens if you mention the Purdue security model in tesla and do you remember what your response was or what your answer to it was um no not the exact answer if you go into tesla and you mention the Purdue security model you'll get laughed out of the building yeah absolutely i mean but i didn't know that that was what my answer was i mean if you look <laughs> it's not just it's not just tesla um it's any i i haven't seen i haven't seen an industry ford auto manufacturer that is an organization who built their first brick and mortar building after the fourth industrial revolution so like after 2002 definitely after 2008 i haven't seen a single facility organization where who built their first brick and mortar after the fourth industrial revolution who uses purdue the purdue security model is garbage it is garbage <laughs> garbage purdue security right. model is the reason that you have to use bombgar to remote into jump servers so that you can access a plc on the edge right i mean it's 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 crap we don't even work with companies that use it right. but, i mean uh we we don't we don't allow organizations to to do that and the only reason they have to do that is because they're using the wrong um architecture did i pipe in soothing background music track on purpose did you guys like that i i did actually yeah I oh did. did you really yeah, you notice it? Can you hear it? Uh, hey, Cheryl says that it's worth addressing in future mastermind conversation. Lars's point, the political discussion. And it is. Agreed, Cheryl. Thank you. All right, guys. Um, all right. All right, gang. We'll see you, see you guys later. Peace. Hopefully this was helpful.